Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I'm Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined as I often am by my colleague and collaborator, editor of our blog, maestro of our newsletter, Ryan Donovan. Ryan, we are entering the era of software 2.0, as Andre Karpathy would tell us, if some guests on the uh, podcast have mentioned. We're going to get into what that means. And one of the things it means is that there's a lot of new kinds of tools, technologies, and Mm -hmm job functions emerging within companies. We have a guest today who's going to talk to us about a bunch of that stuff. Ryan, you want to introduce? Sure. So our guest today is Roy Schreiber-Cohen, staff developer advocate at Pinecone. And we're going to be talking all about retrieval augmented generation. It seems to be the the go-to technique slash technology that everybody who wants to control the wild hallucinations uh, of their LLMs (laughs) So we're going to get into, you know, how it works, how to get started, and uh, talk about some advanced techniques. Cool. Well, I'm off for reducing hallucinations, at least during work hours. So <laughs> <laughs> rag is not my favorite. Actually, I've gotten used to saying rag. It's kind of fun. But um, Roy, yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself. How'd you get into the world of software and technology? And how'd you end up focused on this particular part of the industry? Yeah. So I've been a software engineer for about 15 years, maybe more. I don't know. Stop counting some point and started working at Pinecone about a year and a half ago been a completely uh, insane ride so far Pinecone for those who don't know is a vector database that kind of exploded last year and yeah I'm a, a staff uh, developer advocate there you know before I started at Pinecone I worked at other AI companies but they had nothing to do with you know generative AI and LLMs or any anything of that sort it was more mm-hmm. of like the old kind of traditional AI kind of thing. But um, at Pinecone, I've kind of gotten exposed to this new world that really relies mainly on the world of embeddings, um, which is fascinating. I think we'll talk about it a little bit. That kind of opens up a lot of possibilities to think about data in a really different way than people traditionally think about it. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about RAG. Let's, let's get to the, <laughs> the RAG time. I think one of my first exposures was a little five-line piece of code that was like, this is how you implement a rag in its sort of simplest form. And it was very abstracted. And I, I was like, there's, there's got to be more underneath. This is abstracting a lot of stuff. Yeah. So can you give us a sort of overview of what, what exactly do you need to implement rag? Yeah. So rag is a very abstract concept, right? Like retrieval augmented generation, right? Like there's first the generation part, which we know what it is, right? Like it's, it's some uh, large language model that knows how to generate text, right? The question is, what is this large language model going to generate? Right? So we talk about hallucinations a little bit, and we, we mentioned Andre Karpathy, and he has a, a pretty cool post on Twitter that, uh, sorry, on X, that talks about hallucinations in LLM and people's expectations of LLMs. And in fact, what he says is there that LLMs actually don't hallucinate sometimes. They always hallucinate. Right? They're in this constant <laughs> dream state, right? Um, and what we're able to do with prompting is kind of guide this dream state right along to do things that we want them to do, right? But the fact of the matter is, is that if you think about it that way, it requires you to stop thinking about them as kind of the source of truth, but instead sort of like a natural language interface, right? Or a reasoning mechanism, right? That sits on top of your source of truth, and then that begs the question, so, okay, what would be that source of truth, right? How do you get to the content that the LLM will use to produce a reliable answer, a faithful answer? 
The answer to that is retrieval. Now, retrieval is, again, an ambiguous term, like retrieve from where, right? Retrieve what, right? So a lot of people are actually experimenting with doing retrieval from, you know, SQL databases, RAF databases, different documents, right? Basically, you're relying on your ability to retrieve a set of a subset of documents that are highly relevant to the interaction the user is having with the LLM in order to make the LLM, to force the LLM to respond based on that subset of documents, right? So the assumption is like you probably have a knowledge base that has a lot of different things in it, right? And the question is like, how do we get from that very wide knowledge base into a subset of documents that are going to be contextually and semantically relevant to the thing that the user is intending to get back from your application as a whole? And so retrieval can take, like like I said, a lot of shapes. And one of the common things that we see at Pinecone is that people can le- actually leverage the use of embeddings to sort of bridge that semantic world that users are in, right? Users are speaking in natural language that they want to interact with their system in natural language. And then we can extract the meaning of what they're asking for using embeddings. And we can use those embeddings to then query a vector database. And that basically means that we can retrieve semantically relevant content. So even if the user doesn't use particular words that appear in the documents that we're searching for, the value of embeddings that they're able to extract the actual meaning, right? Regardless of the particular surface forms that are used. And then we're able to retrieve the documents and stuff them in the context window. And then again, guide the LLM to say, hey, use this context as I've given it to you to respond to the user's query. That's the basic flow. Um, it requires a lot of work, right, to get this whole machine set up, right? So at first, you have to take your knowledge base, which is essentially, a, let's just say it's a set, a set of documents, and you have to create embeddings for those documents. There's the question of like, okay, what portion of a document do you create an embedding for? Do you take an, a full document and embed it? Or do you first break it down into smaller segments and embed those segments? And how do you go about that process? But essentially, you end up with a set of embeddings that have references to those documents or a subset of documents. And then once you have that and you have your user's query embedded, you're set basically for your RAG application to work. I think talking about how you break up the text, I found you through a uh, blog post you wrote about chunking strategies, Mm -hmm. sort of looking into thinking about you know, what's the best way to break up a text to sort of make it findable in an effective way for, for a RAG application? So can you talk a little bit about what is important about chunking and, and the ways you can kind of go about doing it? Yeah. So chunking is going to be a huge factor in basically deciding what piece of content is going to appear, right, within your context, right, based on the, on the user's query, right? It could be too much information, not enough information, right? So like you want it to be just right. And this may be a good moment to talk a little bit about the context window itself before we kind of delve into Mm -hmm. um, chunking. So the context window has limits, right? So like the context window is essentially like the the size of the prompt that we can give the LLM, Mm -hmm. right? So we can say, you know, just a line of text, no problem, right? But now if we want to take say like our entire database, right? And just plop it into the the prompt, that's going to be a problem, right? Because number one, context windows have limits, right? They can have, mm-hmm. you know, up to, I don't know, like hundreds of thousands of tokens, which represent, you know, could represent hundreds of pages of data, right? But that's not, in most cases, not the entirety of the data set. 
That's one limit. And the other limit is that, in fact, there's been a paper called Lost in the Middle, which kind of shows that contexts lose their coherence and their ability to actually retrieve data accurately from basically the middle of the context onward, right? So even if you have a really big context, the effectively accurate context, right, is much, much shorter than you would think. So that kind of forces you to think about, okay, what exactly do I want to have in the context, right? And where do I want to have it, right? And so that kind of brings you back to, okay, it's like, I don't want like the entire document, right? So even if I can take an embedding and embed an entire document and stuff it and the LLM and get back the result, that might not be what I want because then I'm not, I might not get an accurate response from the LLM, right? Even if the context is there and is semantically relevant. And that's the reason to mm-hmm. start thinking about, okay, so I want to break my content into smaller chunks, right? So that when I retrieve it, it's actually, it actually hits the correct thing, right? Another reason to break your content into smaller chunks is when you actually are doing the retrieval step, right? You're taking a user's query and you're embedding it, right? And now you are going to compare that with an embedding of your content. Now, if the size of the content that you're embedding is wildly different from the size of the user's query, you're going to have a higher chance of getting a lower similarity score. So it's going to be harder for the vector database to basically say, hey, these two concepts are similar, right? Like, let's imagine that my query is like, what's the best way to get a flight to Tokyo, right? And then I have documents that are full-on descriptions of Japan and Tokyo, right? Like, there might be Mm. some correspondence there, but like, that's not actually what I'm looking for. I'm looking for like something much more specific. Right. Mm. And so you would want to actually limit the size of those chunks to, to make sense, to kind of correspond to the size of the user's query and what they're intending to do with it. So, mm-hmm. in terms of like how you'd go about chunking, there are basically two camps or two main categories of chunking. One would be sort of programmatic in the sense that, you know, it's, it's sort of like it doesn't really look at the content itself. Right. It just says, like, you're going to give me some value and I'm going to do my best to build you chunks right out of that value. And that's where, you know, the recursive type um, chunking strategies work. They basically try and build chunks up to a certain size. So they keep on, Mm. you know, looking at starting from a point of the text and they continuously add more tokens to that chunk until they get to an upper value. And they're also trying to keep some overlap between chunks. So that like there's nothing completely lost right between the text between the the chunks, so that's like a really straightforward kind of way to go about it. You know, another more naive way even to go about things is to do like sentence chunking, right? So like literally, you take Mm -hmm. a piece of content, you say, okay, like find all the periods and you know create sentences, right? That actually might work for a lot of use cases, right? Actually, might Mm -hmm. be very effective for a lot of use cases because again, the question is like, what is the coherent semantic unit that would be applicable right to your user's request and when you do the retrieval right what are you going to get back and how is the llm going to compose a response based on the content you're retrieving Mm. so it's interesting to me to hear you say that you know length is very important right i've never heard that before in my experience you know learning about this stuff we've always just been sort of focused on okay, it's going to create these different vectors and, you know, they have numerical representation that is assigned with their semantic meaning. And, you know, therefore when it's pulling back, it can 
begin, you know, the amazing thing about LLMs is through that and the little matrix multiplication, suddenly you feel like you're having, you know, a reasonable conversation, right? So, I mean, what I was trying to basically explain is that, like, when I have a user's query, right? Right. If I embedded, let's say, a, a full chapter of content, right? Yeah. Instead of just like a page or a paragraph, right? What will happen is that, you know, the vector database is going to find some similarity, right? Some semantic similarity between the query and that chapter, right? Right. Now, is all that chapter relevant? Mm -hmm. Probably not. Maybe. Right? Yeah. Probably maybe, but probably not, right? And the, right. the more the more important question is, is the LLM going to be able to take the content that you took back and the query that the user had and then produce a relevant response out of that, right? Maybe, maybe not, right? Like maybe there's like what, you know, confounding elements within that content. Maybe there aren't confounding elements between that content. It's going to be depending on, dependent on the use case. What we mm. found for the most part, right, is that you would have better luck, right, if you're able to create smaller, semantically coherent units, right, that correspond, right, to potential user mm. queries that then, you know, you could potentially have multiple matches, Right. But then you have a lot mm -hmm. of room to play with, right? Because you know, you have these two knobs that you can play with when you're retrieving content back from the vector database. One is the top number of, of results that you're gonna get back, right? So you can say top K is five mm -hmm. or ten or a thousand or whatever. And the other element is the the similarity score, right? So you can basically say, listen, give me the top thousand, right? But only give me those, right, that have a similarity score that is, I don't know, 0 0.9, right? Just giving a number mm -hmm. out. And what would that do, right? That will whittle out, right, like all the things that, you know, might be similar, but not similar enough, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. In that way, right, like you can sort of guarantee that what you're getting back is at least semantically relevant. And you can, again, yeah. control the amounts, right, by fiddling around with that top K knob. Yeah. So you, you mentioned, like, not embedding a whole chapter, but some of that chapter may actually be sort of relevant. Is there a way to like explicitly link embedded text when yeah. you're retrieving? Yeah. Yeah. So that's another huge thing that um, it's a huge part of what vector databases are there for. So with each vector that you are embedding, you're also associating it with some metadata, right? So that metadata could be, for example, if you've chunked your text, right? Or not, or even not, right? It would be the reference to you know, the original document that that embedding came from, right? It could actually even include the, the text itself, right? It can mm -hmm. include categories. It can include, you know, user information, if you'd like. You know, it could really include anything. It's kind of like a, a JSON blob, right, that you can then use mm -hmm. to either filter out things, right? So, like, you can, again, reduce the search space significantly, right? Like, if you're just looking for a particular subset of the data. And you could use that metadata to then link back again the the content that you're using in your response back to the to the original content and in fact have a demo up that demonstrates that basically walks you through that entire process where you go through like you point it to some url and then it mm -hmm. goes and retrieves the content from the sorry retrieve is the wrong word that crawls the <laughs> that url and then creates segments small chunks right out of the contents of that html page mm -hmm. that you're crawling and then it does the embedding, upserts, and then when you ask a question, it responds with the actual answer and reference to where exactly in the page that question mm -hmm. is based on, right? And the way that you 
achieve that is exactly by leveraging metadata um, that's associated with these vectors. That actually leads me to the second, you know, category of of chunking uh, strategies, mm-hmm. which is more content aware, right? So the mm-hmm. one way that is to me the most effective in dealing with structured content is using Markdown. So almost every mm-hmm. type of content, HTML, PDFs, etc., can be formatted as Markdown and converted into Markdown, and that just means that we can, you know maintain the semantic content that an author put in right to indicate to us like what are again the semantically coherent units right so like i have paragraphs i have headings mm-hmm. i have like these hints within the file itself that tell me what's the segment like where does it stop right where does it start and when does it stop and by leveraging that again like i can assure right that like it would make sense that like one unit is internally coherent it's not cut in the middle I'm not going to have to like, you know, combine chunks together to make something make sense. And that, mm. you know, pieces that actually need to stay together, for example, like code examples, that they maintain their coherence as well, right? So like if you just took a piece of code markdown and gave it to um, their cursive text chunker, you would get back broken code, right? It will just break mm. in the middle because it would just reach the amount of tokens that it needs to and it will just stop, right? Whereas a markdown splitter would know, hey, like I'm looking at a code segment here. It cannot be broken down. I'm going to need to uh, embed it all as one unit. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. Let's shout out someone who asked a great question on Stack Overflow and earned themselves a badge, a famous question badge to Gelso77. Angular, colon, how can I clone an object in TypeScript asked four years ago, viewed 10,000 times. You've got that question. We've got an answer for you. As always, I am Ben Popper. You can find me on X at Ben Popper. Email us questions or suggestions, podcast at Stack Overflow. And yeah, if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. You can read it at stackoverflow.blog. And if you want to reach out to me on X slash Twitter, my handle is rthordonovan. I'm Roish Robert-Cohen. Um, I work at Pinecone, developer advocate there. Um, to check out my work, you can just go to pinecone.io and all of our stuff is there. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. And I'm happy to talk. Sweet. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening and we will talk to you soon. <laughs>